0: All right, thanks so much, Matt. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we can gather together, even if virtually today, that uh, we can use this time to draw near to you. Father, would you draw us near to you? Would you speak to us through your word? And would you give us each your spirit as we consider now what you have in front of us? We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome again to Current. My name is David. Today, we're continuing our series through Hebrews chapter 11. We're calling Onward. As we consider the question, how can we, in the midst of hard circumstances, live lives of power? How can we live lives of such poise, of such equilibrium, of such strength, that no matter what comes at us in life, we don't just eke our way through it but we actually get to join God in his life-changing eternal work. And so we've been going through Hebrews 11, looking at each of these accounts of the ancient men and women of faith and how they were able to follow the Lord in the midst of trying times that they faced. And we return now today to the example of Abraham. And while I'm no biblical scholar or theologian, it seems to me what we have here in front of us in our text today is really the key to it all, the heart of it all, that if we can learn what Abraham grew to learn, we can live lives of power. That's not to say the, the other men and women of faith that we are going to be looking at in Hebrews, don't. Uh, we can't learn a lot from, we can absolutely learn a ton from them, but to me, this is really the heart of it all. And it's worth mentioning that for Abraham, it took many, many years for him to figure out and finally lean into and live from. The most important decision Abraham made by far was his initial decision of faith to follow the Lord, to put his trust and hope in him. But after that, it finally clicked for him years later of what it really is all about. It took him some time, but he, he learned it and lived from it. What did he learn? And what did he live from when it comes to his faith? How can we also live this life of faith, live this life of power? Uh, Let's look to his example in Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac from the dead. Our text today, of course, is referencing another text found in Genesis 22, the first book of the Bible, where we see after many, many years, Abraham had finally received the promise of his son. His son that he named Isaac. Uh, This this promise of a son where, where the blessing would flow through him that Abraham would become the the father of many nations through him, that he would have descendants as many as as the stars in the sky and as numerous as the sand on the seashore. It was all through Isaac. That promise had finally come after years and years of waiting. And then into about his teenage years, uh, of Isaac's teenage years, we don't know exactly about the time frame, uh, Abraham was tested by God, we're told, in Genesis 22. Verse 2 says, God said to Abraham, Take your son. Your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. And so Abraham took Isaac and a few servants to the region of Mount Moriah. And at the foot of the mountain, told his servants to go ahead and stay there, remain there, that they were going to go up and they would come back together. And so they started making their way up, Abraham and Isaac. And along the way, Isaac asked his dad, Dad, I see that we have all the elements for a burnt offering. You know, you've got all the supplies, but where's the sacrificial lamb? Isn't that important? Where, where's that? And Abraham replied, Son, God will provide the sacrificial lamb. So they kept walking, Well, when they got to the top and they got to the place where Abraham was like, okay, this is the spot, he built an altar there, set everything up, bound his son to it, raised the dagger to strike, and in that moment, the angel of the Lord cried out, Abraham, Abraham, and then the old King James said, stay thy hand, don't sacrifice your son. And in Genesis twenty-two twelve, 12, it says, now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me, God said, your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a nearby thicket found, saw a ram had got caught. So he sacrificed the ram instead of his son. And then verse 14 of Genesis 22 concludes this way. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, It will be provided. Returning back to our text in Hebrews 11, verse 17, we're told by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. And the emphasis here, of course, is on the fact that Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac, even Isaac unto the Lord, which of course is a big deal. And not just in the sense of Isaac being his son, which itself is a big deal, I mean, one of the things I like to do or I try to do when I'm reading the scriptures is when I come across a text and I, and I see you know, an ancient person of faith working out their faith unto the Lord, I'll often try to put myself in their shoes, just try to imagine myself in their place, just try to learn and grow for myself where I'm at and what the Lord might be calling me to do and be. But I have to admit, when it comes to this text, that's really hard for me to do. Before I was a dad, I used to read a text like this one and think, you know what, Abraham, you were willing to sacrifice your son? Good on you. Awesome. Way to go. But now, this side of being a dad and having a son myself, I have to admit, it's really hard for me to even consider that idea. That's a big deal. But you know what the emphasis of the Hebrews text reading is is saying here is that the big deal was not just the fact that Abraham was going to offer his son, as in, you know, because he is his son and and how hard that was, but the fact of what that son represented to Abraham. Because it it goes on to say in Hebrews 17, uh, he was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Now, wait a minute. Didn't Abraham have another son? The Hebrews writer would have without a doubt, known that Abraham had another son. So what's that deal? Is that a contradiction? No, he's making a point. First of all, the other son was Ishmael, and Ishmael was a son that Abraham was just trying to have in order to like help God out with the promise. He slept with his servant, which was just a bad deal through and through, and God had to intervene and just love and take care of Ishmael and his mom Hagar, who were badly mistreated by, by Abraham and, and the rest of it. So God so Abraham did have that other son, but here the emphasis is Isaac, his one and only son. Not that he, he didn't have any other sons, the emphasis here is this was the son of promise. This was to Abraham the one where he had placed all his hopes in. In other words, Abraham was willing to sacrifice. His everything, everything that mattered to him. That's what Isaac represented to him. There was a time in Genesis 15, okay? So a few chapters back from Genesis 22 where God tested him, and a few chapters past the original call that God came to Abraham and said, I'm gonna bless you, I'm gonna give you a son, and through him all these blessings. So in that time frame in between, which for what it's worth, was years after that original promise and years until the text and the story of Mount Moriah that we're considering today. God came to Abraham to reassure him of his promises. It had been years since Abraham had first received that you're gonna have a, a son of promise. It had been years since that happened and Abraham was just thinking, well, is this really gonna happen? I don't know. And so God shows up in Genesis 15 to say, "You know, to give him reassurance. But check out what God says to Abraham. He doesn't show up and say, Abraham, don't worry, the promise is gonna come true. Look what he first says in Genesis 15.1. It says, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Here's the reassurance. Do not be afraid, Abram or Abraham. I am your shield. I am your very great reward. In other words, God was saying, hey, there's something far greater here available to you and a far greater assurance to you than me just telling you that the promise is going to come true. He started by saying something that probably Abraham wasn't expecting. In fact, we know he wasn't expecting. He said, I am your shield. I am your very great reward. It's funny how the next few verses after this start with, but Abraham. But what? But Abraham wanted to know and basically said to God after he said, I am your shield. I am your very great reward. But okay, okay, okay. That that aside, how are you going to do this? How can I know? at which point God said, hey, I'm going to take care of you. I promise you it's, it's going to work out. Trust me. And Abraham said, but no, how really can I know? Really? Can I know? And God said, yes, you can know. But the point being, Abraham missed something so vital there and was focusing just on the promise itself, missing something that was, that God was saying, hey, something far greater than the promises I'm bringing you. As, as much as, as cool as those are, And as of blessings as as, as those will be, you have something far greater available to you. Abraham, you have me, God was saying to him. I am your shield. I am your very great reward. And it wouldn't take, it would take years and years later. I mean, over two decades, at least before Abraham in Genesis 22 finally got it where he was finally willing to offer his son as a sacrifice, his one and only son, unto the Lord. What we learn here, what the Hebrews writer seems to me suggesting is that Abraham finally understood that it's more about the promise keeper than the promises. Abraham finally understood by faith that far and away more important than the promises himself is the promise keeper, the one from whom the promises come. And we're told by faith, Abraham offered Isaac, even Isaac, his one and only son, his everything. He was willing to just put it all out there on the line. How does this help us consider how we might live lives of power? How we might live lives of faith and have this equilibrium, this poise, this strength, no matter what comes at us? It says in our text that God tested Abraham right? That's the wording there. It says he tested him. In fact, the same wording there is in Genesis 22, that God came to Abraham to test him. Uh, What are tests for? I mean, in the most simplest of terms, tests are a way of helping us understand our knowledge, like where we're at, but they also help us grow. Tests stretch us and and lead us into growth. At least good tests will do so. And so tests are not necessarily a bad thing, even though, of course, they're not necessarily pleasant. They help us know where we're at, our knowledge, and, and, and help us learn to grow. Well, here's what God was doing for Abraham. He was testing him. He was trying to stretch him and help him see something that would only help him become stronger and greater. And it took him a while, but he finally got there and figured it out. What did he finally figure out? He finally figured out that the most important place to find his assurance His security, his worth, his love, his identity was in God himself and not even in what God would give him. Even in these great promises through his son Isaac that God himself was there to help secure him. Think of it this way. When you and I are going through hard times, uh, what feelings often accompany those times for us? I mean, don't we have the tendency in the midst of hard times to feel things like anger, frustration, maybe resentment, or maybe we feel other feelings like sadness or despair or lack of hope. Uh, Likely it's a combination of these things, but what's beyond those feelings? Or why are we feeling those things at all? It's likely because we're trying to find our identity, value, security, our worth in something apart from God. The Bible teaches that it's really easy for us to look for our to use a religious word, salvation in things that are temporary, that will only fade away, that can never ultimately satisfy us. That's why when we go through things like a hard time in the workplace, we go like, why, why is this not working out? Like, oh, it's just it's driving me nuts because if we could just have our security there, or we get really upset when we don't have, uh, you know, a potential husband or wife that we're getting to know. And it's like, oh, Lord, why aren't you providing that for me? Or we we can't own here, or we go through a hard situation uh, in in a group of friends, or or in our in our in our home, or whatever it might be, relationship with a spouse. It's just hard, and we just go like, why is this not working? Well, often that's happening because we're looking for our ultimate source of satisfaction, love, and things apart from God. That that person would just get to treat us differently, that we would just obtain that job or or if that situation would just work out the way it worked out. But those things are only temporary at best. And God wants to free us from seeking those things as our everything, even good and wonderful things that God may want to bless us with. Even Abraham, he was going to be blessed with his son, Isaac, the promise, these wonderful things that God himself was doing. But if Abraham was finding his ultimate hope and satisfaction in that he was going to be at the whims of the ups and downs of life, whether he felt like he was getting in the time he wanted or it wasn't working out in the way he would figure it would work out. And I think the reality is sometimes Christians, what we can easily do, and myself included, is frame our frustration or our, our dissatisfaction at, to, at God himself and say, God, hey, why isn't this working out the way it's, it should be working out? I've sacrificed for you with my resources, with my time. I do the Christian things. Why isn't this working out the way it should be working out in my life? Why am I not getting what I what I feel like I could be I should be getting? But God wants us to free to free us from that because those things are only ever temporary. Those things are never are, are, are fleeting at best and aren't the place that can fully satisfy us. God wants us to find our ultimate hope and joy in Him. And when we find it in Him, we can be secure no matter what comes at us in life, the ups and the downs alike. Abraham realized that it's not just about the promises, it's about the promise keeper. And next we see in a similar way that Abraham understood it's it's more about the provider than the provision. It's more about the provider than the provision. Look at verse 19, Abraham offered Isaac because he reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. If the first thought we considered is Abraham had to grow to trust God in the what, here we see Abraham had to grow and trust God in the how. It says here that he reasoned uh, the Greek word here is logizomai. It's just a way. It's just you can hear the word logic in there. He he used logic. He reasoned. He calculated. What was he calculating? What was he reasoning? Abraham reasoned that okay, I know God to be good and true, and I know that this good and true God said specifically that the promise to me will come through this son of mine, this specific son that He's now asking me to sacrifice here on Mount Moriah. So. I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know in what way he's going to pull it off, but I'm going to trust. I was reading this week a commentary uh, from the 16th century, and they think a little bit differently back then, but the commentator essentially said, Abraham reasoned to the point of if he did raise the, the dagger and had to slay his son and burnt his son to the ground, and God could even from the ashes fulfill the promise to Abraham. Like I said, different type of thinking back in the 16th century. But Abraham reasoned. I don't know how God's going to do it, but he's going to do it. He understood that far more important than the than the provision was the provider trusting him. He didn't know how God was going to work it all out, but he knew God could be trusted. And if we think about how the implications for us in our own lives today, I mean, it's almost endless. Um, trusting God with the how. Have you ever struggled with that? Trusting God with the how, how it's going to work out, um, what God can, will, and, or may or may not do. Have you ever, you ever struggled with that? I think we struggle with the how in terms of how God carries out his good plan in at least two ways that I want to consider with you. The first is we can struggle with the how in terms of the timing Remember I said earlier that Abraham had to wait a good chunk of time? Abraham had to wait 25 years after the original promise that he's going to be blessed with this son, Isaac. 25 years. And then it was another 10, 20, maybe even 30 years to Genesis 22 where he you know, has this son that he's leading him up to Mount Moriah on, on this test. That's a l- l- huge chunk of time. Have you ever wrestled with something uh, in terms of the how? in terms of the timing, for 25-plus years, right? I mean, the reality is, I think, especially in our culture, we struggle with the how in terms of the timing when it comes to weeks, if not days, let alone years. But we can easily have, really struggle with the timing. God, how? Why is this not happening? Shouldn't it be happening? And I think the reason for that is we struggle with believing and trusting deep down that what God His plan is good because he is good. And I think we also struggle with the way in which he carries out that good plan. In other words, we might believe in our minds the promise of Romans 8.28, that we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. We know that in our minds, but in our hearts and in our daily lives, we don't really live from that. We struggle with that. So we can struggle with the how in terms of the time, but we can also struggle with the how in terms of trials. I mean, running into hard things and, and calling a time out. wait, why am I facing this hard thing, God? One of the things I think it's really easy for us to believe in especially American uh, Christianity, in, in the American church, is what's known as the prosperity gospel. This false teaching, the prosperity gospel in a nutshell is you follow God and your life will become easier. Your life will become more comfortable. Your your life will become more prosperous. Follow God in in that. But that's a false teaching. The the, the true gospel doesn't teach that. Now, of course, we could look at some scriptures, pick out a Bible verse or two and misconstrue them to say, hey, that's what the Bible's teaching. No, the Bible doesn't teach the prosperity gospel. If anything, the Bible's real and says, you know, the hard times come in life. That's a reality. That's a given. I mean, all these people of faith just speak that to be true. But what's more the Bible actually goes on to say for those who do follow God in some ways life will actually become harder and uh and more of a of a of a struggle and wrestle Jesus at one point said if you believe in me people are going to hate you and 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 follow me and following me means taking up a cross the prosperity gospel is not a thing the true gospel is we need to follow God for for who he is and and, and stick with him and follow him for for what he is it, it says God said to Abraham, I am your shield. I am your very great reward, which really gets to the heart of all of it, gets to the key. You know, we've been talking about how Abraham understood he needs to go to, he needs to understand it's more about the promise keeper, not the promises. Abraham understood that it's more about the provider, not the, the provision. To sum up, sum up what I believe the heart of all of this is in terms of living a life of power through living a life of, of faith is Abraham understood that he went to God for God. Abraham learned to go to God for God, not what God could give him, not not for what God might do in case he didn't go to him. He went to God for God. Jesus at one point was asked, what's the greatest commandment in the Bible, in the scriptures? And without hesitation, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul. In other words, that was his way of saying, at least in part, hey, if you can get that together, if you could just seek God, then you're going to be able to withstand anything that comes at you in life because he alone is going to be a rock. He alone is the true blessing and, and from whom all blessings flow. We need to learn to go to God for God and not what he can or won't give us, but to go for him, to him for him. One of the things that's often said about the, this text, especially the Genesis 22 that our text references, is kind of this idea of how could a God do such a thing? Test somebody in such a way where he asks him to sacrifice his son? I mean, that's, that seems pretty immoral. The problem with that reading is it misses the point entirely. I mean, you read the whole text and you realize God had no intention of actually carrying through with that. I mean, zero. And there's nothing in the scriptures that show that God has that nature, quite to the opposite. But that aside, we see that text in Genesis 22 and our text today really showing us something far greater than the example of Abraham and his faith in following God. Infinitely greater. Because both of those texts, both of these texts point ultimately not to Abraham, but to God himself and what he actually did for us. I mean, the gospel reference, the good news reference, references here in Hebrews 11 are almost too many to point out. It says that Abraham was willing to sacrifice his one and only son. I mean, if you've read the Bible or have heard different references, you know that that's one of the most intimate titles or modes of, of calling that God the Father had for his son. You are my son. He said, when Jesus was baptized, whom I am well pleased. And the most famous verse of all, probably in the scriptures, John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. God gave his one and only Son. Why? To love you and me. Meaning? Through Jesus, God the Father didn't withhold anything. And it says that on the mountain, the Lord, uh, it it will be provided, the Lord will provide. You know, that same Mount Moriah, we know from geography and from references and, and all the rest of it, that it was the same region, the same mountain that the temple millennia later would be built upon. And just outside that temple, is where the Son of God, Jesus himself, would be crucified on a cross. And when he was being crucified on the cross, the Son of God for the sins of the world, as a sacrificial lamb, there was no one who cried out on his behalf, stay thy hand. In fact, one of the things that really just kind of struck out to me as I was reading the Genesis 22 account again this week is the fact that it was the angel of the Lord who cried out, stay thy hand, Abraham. The angel of the Lord, without getting too far into it, because we don't have the time, the vast majority of Bible scholars understand to be the pre-incarnate Christ. Not an angel, because when the angel of the Lord is referenced in the Old Testament, he's referenced also as God. Most Bible scholars are, are, are pretty clear on it. It's Jesus. It was Jesus who said, stay thy hand. So Jesus on the cross had no one to say, stay thy hand. Could you imagine God the Father And God the Son, asking Abraham and Isaac, knowing full well that they wouldn't have him carry it through, but knowing also full well that this would be what they would do, that is the gospel, that God the Father didn't withhold even his son, meaning he didn't withhold anything far greater than any promise he can give to you or me. Anything in this life, anything in the next life, which there are, incredible, incredible promises all throughout the scriptures for those who put their faith in Jesus. Far greater than any of that is God gave us himself. Did not withhold even his son. And friends, to the degree we let that melt into our hearts, is to the degree we can begin to live this life of faith even in the midst of the hardest of times. We might be going through some hard times. You might be going through some really hard times. And for those of you who follow Jesus, it's a chance to look within, maybe see it as a test, not in a bad sense, but in a way that that God might want to be growing you. In other words, as a gift for him to help free you from perhaps looking to salvation or security or worth in things apart from him that can only let us down, but to place our ultimate hope and trust in him. Because when we get that down, we can make it through anything. And not just eager way by, but join with him in the life-changing internal work that he wants to do in and through this, even in the midst of hard times. So wherever you're at in your faith journey right now, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, that's the gospel, that God did this for you when you and I did not deserve it. And you can receive it by faith, putting your faith in in God, receiving what Jesus did on the cross, dying for your sins and rising again third day, that you too can have life, a restored relationship with him, that he will become your shield, your very great reward. You can receive that today by faith. That's the good news. And for those of us who have received him by faith, it's an opportunity to live for him, go to him for him. And when we don't quite do it, he's gracious. He forgives us but to the extent we can let what he has done for us melt into hearts to the degree that we can begin to lean into him and receive the power and joy that he has so readily available to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you did not withhold anything from us. You did not withhold your son, your only son from us. And so Father, we pray that you would help us live in light of that love and that grace such that when we face hard times, we, in an increasing measure, go to you for you. We thank you for the wonderful promise. You've given us so many promises. And in a way where Abraham only anticipated those promises, we get to look back and understand that you've already finished the work, knowing that it's all uh, certain to come. We love you, we praise you, but Father, will you help us go to you for you? And where we struggle with that, would you meet us there? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's continue this time in worship now through song.